good to be able to do this uh, this morning as you if you're visiting with us uh, today for the summer um, some of the elders are kind of pinch hitting so to speak for our, our pastor who is away and uh, last week we had uh, guest speaker Darren Shelburne with us this morning so it's my privilege to share this morning on uh, eldership from Acts chapter 20 if you would turn in your in your Bibles there so I'm going to do my best this morning before the uh, trap door opens. Um, I work here. I know this building, but I don't know what's below me, so I'm going to do my best to, to stay on time here this morning and uh, Lord willing, serve us well. So turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. And as you're turning there, I want to ask this morning if you have ever wondered what it might be like to be an accomplished writer or perhaps win a famous prize like the Nobel. If I was ever privileged to maybe share a room with somebody as that distinguished and that accomplished of a, of a career, I, I would undoubtedly be able to like listen really intently to what that person would have to say. I shared a dinner, dinner table one day with a very accomplished scholar and theologian and uh, I was quite nervous to stand next to him and sit next to him at dinner, so I really listened intently to what he had to say. And although it's somewhat overshadowed by his political career, you might not know that Winston Churchill was an accomplished writer. In fact, he won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1953. His first book was the story of the Malacan Field Force, which probably doesn't mean anything to you, but... It was a first-hand account of a military campaign in what is now Pakistan. But we know Winston Churchill as a great orator, a speaker. He was uh, eclipsed, if you can believe it, by someone else with the same name, who was also an author. He was an American. His name was, of course, Winston Churchill as well. He wrote many novels, and one, ironically, was a history novel that made him rich and sold him two million copies. Do you think anyone actually remembers that Winston Churchill as an orator? His fame faded and was likely forgotten forever, right? But the British Churchill lives on in history, and if you're a fan of Sir Winston Churchill, the statesman, the famous commencement address he gave called Never Give Up, um, he gave that speech, that famous speech, but he died in January, on January 24th of 1965. He lived a life that changed the course of history as his term of prime minister. He was a man of many famous words. And as many do when they're facing eternity, they're perhaps confronted with questions like, what has my life been all about? What is this ministry? What is this career? been all about what's really the point of it all before slipping into a coma and dying nine days later Churchill's last words were if you can believe it and I quote I'm bored with it all sounds like in some ways even though he shared about never giving up he gave up so we see in scripture this morning one place where someone had the opportunity to share last words to a group of men that he knew and deeply loved. And that's in our text this morning. So please turn, if you haven't, to Acts chapter 20. We're going to read, you know, a bunch of verses here, verses 17 to 38. Let's read this morning, Acts chapter 20. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus, called the elders of the church to come to him. 
When they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to the Greeks, to the Jews and to the Greeks, to, of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only that I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel and of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend to you God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities, to those who were with me in all things. I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that, he, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the word that's set before us. Lord, I pray that you, would in, that you would work in and through our hearts and minds this morning, that you might quiet our distractions, or that you would focus our hearts. And the, Lord, we'd be receptive to the word before us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, there's a lot here. And, but this morning, what I want us to focus on is the title of my message, Paul's Famous Last Words. In our text this morning, and these are not the only two, okay? But these are two major emphases that I think are helpful for us this morning from Paul's last words. And if you're going to take notes, I'll do my best to hopefully keep you on track here. But it's Paul's commitment to a full ministry and Paul's focus on a protective heart. And again, these are two of many, as I'm sure you were reading along with me, you saw a lot of points that we could highlight. So this morning, I love Paul's choice of wording here in verse 18, where he says, how I lived among you the whole time. He says, you yourselves know, in verse 18, how I lived among you the whole time. Well, who, in fact, is Paul living among, you might ask? 
And as I said, if, if you look in the title of your section of, of, of your passage this morning, it says, Paul speaks to the Ephesian elders. Well, who are these elders, you may be asking? If you're familiar with the PCA, you know that we have two offices, ruling elder and teaching elder. Ruling elders are kind of the lay leaders. You know, they have full-time jobs, but they shepherd the flock. And the teaching elders is the higher office, the credentialed pastor, the senior pastor, teaching pastor, if you come from a different church. Well, these are the senior pastors. These are the teaching elders. And in those days, the early church was ruled by the apostles. And that authority was handed down to the next generation by ordaining men they called to be the pastors and shepherds of that church. So this morning, Paul is speaking to the senior pastors in Ephesus. And he says, you yourselves know. You yourselves know how I lived among you. So Paul is inviting a a critique of himself in some ways. He's inviting an action. And what Paul's doing here is by his own example, he is exhorting the elders to perform their duties faithfully. And this is the important fact I wanted to, to share right off the bat is that Paul is prescribing nothing that he hasn't done himself before. While Paul was amongst these men, the pastors of Ephesus, he states that not only did he spend time with them, but he served the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials that happened to him through the plots of the Jews. This is an interesting verse because in verse 19, in Roman and Greek culture, one commentator states that there was the word humility didn't even really exist. There's no such word in that vernacular or that, 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 that language. But Paul is saying that I lived with, lived with you with all humility. But that idea was so foreign to them before. While Paul was a man of humility, he remained fearless. And what we're going to look at in a second, he was also, also protective. So what Paul is doing is he's defending his ministry amongst that church. He did it in similar ways in Scripture. If you want to look later, you can go to 1 Corinthians 2, where he says, I was with, and when I was with you, in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So Paul speaks about the way he lived his life to the Corinthian church as well. When Paul served the congregation, he was not there as their resident scholar. He faithfully pastored them. His theology was practiced. He shared his heart with them. And that's what's evident here. And that, this is also what's true of the character of a faithful pastor. That's what he's sharing in verse 19. This is what makes leadership, and I think it's applicable to us this morning, it's what makes leadership so different in the church than in mi- the military leadership or perhaps in the business world. You can't take those two and mold it and shape it into church leadership. Those are two entirely different things. You can't press them into an elder-led model church. We're not trying to get ahead by military force, for example. These secular occupations often consider characteristics which are often unwise and unbiblical in the church and shepherding God's people. So Paul had a tender heart which was sympathetic to the heart of Christ. And that's part of his full ministry characteristics this morning. He was honest with those who served. There was no show. There was no entertainment. There was real honest ministry to those who are suffering. So this ministry focus is significant. Perhaps one of the most important characteristics that we can bring 
as we shepherd and elder God's church. That is who Paul was, even though, as it says in the the verse, he had his own trials and tribulations. One scholar said about this fact that that man can never be rightly framed to obey Christ whose looks are lofty and whose heart is proud. So we see Paul's commitment to this full ministry, and that's my first point this morning. But he also says something else that's different in verse 20. He says in verse 20, How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house. What, is the, what does he mean when he says, I did not shrink? And how does that relate to a full ministry? So the word shrink, and again, I'm not really familiar with the Greek, but in my studies, I learned that this word shrink also means, well, it means hupostello. It was used for drawing back or down the sails on a ship, and so slackening the course. Metaphorically, it meant to be hesitant in doing something, shrinking back or avoiding or unwilling to utter something because of fear. So if, if you might not know, Luke is the writer of the book of Acts. And he was a doctor. And so he might be using the word hupostello here as a wordplay on the medical meaning of withholding food from patients. Holding food from patients. So figuratively speaking, what Paul is saying here is that he never withheld spiritual food, but he always set He always sought to set a full table for the whole purpose of God. So when we read Acts 20, verse 20, how I did not shrink from you, declaring anything that was profitable, Paul means something pretty important because he also says that same word in verse 27 as well. So this is an incredibly important idea for Paul. It's best for us to remember that this shrinking mentality this holding back mentality was not something that was true of Paul. It's something that he did not have. Paul was not a pastor who kept silent. And as your elders this morning, as I was reading this, and I was very mindful of this fact that we must remember as elders, as we try to be faithful in the leadership of, our, of Mercy Hill, that there must not be any truths that we withhold for fear of causing an offense. As a congregation, I think we might be more likely to to share or expose our doubts or something we're struggling with, maybe perhaps seek more conflict resolution or work freely with the elders and the pastor of, of our church when we have gained personal confidence, when we shared some of these really hard things. And so we must always strive to be imitators of Paul here. You know, that's something that Paul said also in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So not only did Paul say he didn't shrink from holding back, he also says that he actually visited them house to house, if you see that in verse 20 as well, teaching you in public and from house to house. And again, this is under Paul's full ministry, my first point this morning. Even while he was facing harsh opposition from his enemies, Paul visited this church house to house. And I was, again, also mindful of that. I think Will said it like two weeks ago, it's like, seeing yourself in the mirror, right, as we're, as we're sharing this. And Paul visited the churches house to house, and he reminded the elders of that um, in, this, in this farewell address, so to, so to speak. 
Paul was a pastor in the pulpit in front of many people, but he was also the pastor on every porch. And I think that's important for us to learn this morning. Paul visited his people. He sought to, sought to be faithful to that call. And maybe this practice of, of, you know, maybe having a pastor visit you house to house might seem a little bit old-fashioned and maybe out of date. And so when I was thinking about that, I think about South Jersey people, if you, you know, most of us are from South Jersey here. We want to probably compartmentalize our lives, right? We want to have our Sunday professional Christian life, and we have our, our, our lives in at our houses or our businesses or local soccer games. So we want to keep these two separate. And the idea of a pastor visiting you, sitting on your couch, or being, you know, visiting you might seem old-fashioned, may seem a little scary, perhaps. And if you think about it, the pastor may only be seen on Sunday. And in a lot of ways, that confines us as Christians to only hearing the word here in these four walls, Right? Think about the reality of actually hearing Scripture shared with you in your house, and that's what Paul did. That's how he set an example as the work of, of a minister, working through and shepherding God's people through challenges. And I wonder, and maybe ask yourself if you ever had that before. It's, uh, I remember you know, having Phil, our pastor, in our couch, visiting our house, and he was setting a good example for us in that way. But he modeled, Paul modeled our personal and public distinctions I like to say. Um, um, so he was in public as a pastor on Sunday here, but he was also personal. It might not be in your house. It might be coffee, restaurant, or visiting one-on-one with a pastor. And I think that's something that us as elders should certainly do. And we have room to grow in this area as your elders. We'll see later how elders can use this as a practical aspect of our ministry to better care for our sheep. So, first point this morning is Paul's full ministry, and he did it by several different ways, by not shrinking, but also ministering house to house. The second point was Paul's focus on a protective heart. Paul's focus on a protective heart. So, we're going to kind of launch off of that here in verse 20 again, and I'll just read it for us. Declaring anything to you that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house. And I'm going to launch us off that point for this reason. Paul, I believe, protected the flock at Ephesus by establishing strong biblical truths which were central to his ministry. So we see that in verse 21. Testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now skip ahead with me to verse 27. For I did not shrink, there's that word again, from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. And I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So Paul's focus on a protective heart, I think, is very evident here. But something we can't do as elders is jettison that idea of what we're going to learn here in a second, repentance in favor of clever arguments or those twisted things that Paul is talking about. No matter how much theology we might know, how skillful we might be in conversation, it must be always about repentance 
through Jesus Christ and through the gospel. And I think Paul has made that very clear here in this farewell address. Look at verse 21. Repentance toward God, towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Calling people to repentance is, again, something else that's not popular. This is not a church growth strategy. But we as elders, and as Paul is reminding us here, is if we want to be faithful to the message of God's word, this is what godly men and pastors ought to do. They ought to do this. And to this point, one scholar said, he's explaining to us, I'm not going to quote him directly, but he talks about how in my studies I learned we're naturally corrupt, we're strangers from righteousness, we're turned away from God himself. In fact, that scholar says, we fly from God because we know that he's displeased with us. Therefore, that newness of life, that idea of repentance, must be set before us. As elders, the sheep must hear about repentance unto faith because we're prone to run, or as that scholar says, we're prone to fly from God when we sin. It's one of the ways we always confess it every Sunday here at Mercy Hill. But repentance is not, you know, it's not often an important message that we hear, but it's central to Paul's message. But if we're going to talk about repentance really quick, what is it? What is repentance? Well, it's not penance. That's trying to pay God back for our wrongs. It's much more than that. Repentance is someone who's sick, recognizing their illness and confessing their need for deliverance. While it might sound like confession or penance, that's not what repentance is. Confession is sorrow for sin, as we say every week. And it's not remorse either. We deal with that as parents. Sometimes we want to see like remorse in our kids, right? When they're found out. But repentance is so much more. This is what it is. It's judging your own actions in light of God's and His uprightness. But more importantly, it's turning to Him It's turning to God with a glad and sincere heart. But Paul says repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus and faith will never be the same without the Lord Jesus. So it's it's both. It's both and. And so Paul is demonstrating and focusing on his protective heart by reminding the elders that they always have to preach repentance. But he also says this, something that's really important. He says in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. That means that the elders can't only preach it, but they got to live it. The elders also have to be repentant. How can they be faithful to God without recognizing their own condition? You can't expect the church to do the same, right? So the wording here, flock, that Paul says, is kind of like a familiar metaphor from the Old Testament. It just it means God's people. And so Paul is concerned about the flock, the careful oversight of the flock, because they're going to come under some significant threat, an outside force. And so we see that force that would come after Paul leaves. And that force, Paul describes it in verse 29 as fierce wolves. They're going to come in amongst the flock. And Paul's not going to be there to protect them. He's not going to be there anymore to combat that force. So he's warning these elders this morning. Not only do they come from the outside, but they also come from the inside. We see that in verse 30. And from among your own selves, which means that the elders, some of them, are going to depart from that truth, from the gospel. They're going to depart and they're going to try to lead this church 
astray in Ephesus. So, as elders, we have to keep alert. We have to, care, care, we have to keep a careful watch among our own selves while we watch over God's flock. So elders must preach repentance and preach the gospel to ourselves first. We have to watch our own souls, not only for the physical threats. It might be physical. God hopes, we hope that doesn't happen. But they're going to be spiritual and theological. And so the imagery, of course, is of a shepherd, right, keeping, a, keeping watch over his flock, over the church of God. When the, when the shepherd is asleep and the wolves come in, what happens? The sheep die. There's nobody watching over them. And so that's applicable to us this morning. You know, we cannot sleep. We have to keep watch over the elders and also over the flock. Therefore, keep alert. That's what Paul is reminding them here in verse 31. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone with tears. Again, Paul is here admonishing these elders by his own example, just like he did in the very beginning. He's not exhorting these men to do something that he hasn't already done himself, okay? So that happens again. This echoes what Paul says in Philippians 3.20. As he's giving his final words to the elders, we see that Paul is well aware, and he kind of uses this race imagery, right? Christians start out well on their race, but over time are distracted by the fierce wolves that, are around, that move in and around the flock, trying to distract them from the race, from the course that God has placed on them. How might these sheep get distracted? Real quickly, how might these, street, how might these sheep get distracted? From verse 30, we see Paul say, you want to read along with me. From these elders will arise men that will speak twisted things. You see, it starts out very subtle. It starts out very subtle, kind of quiet. Perhaps maybe most of us probably live on social media. And so perhaps it starts off with maybe some harmful phrases like, are harmless. They might appear harmless, but they're truly harmful, right? Live your truth. Follow your heart. Trust your instincts. They never lie. I listened to that once, and I got myself in municipal court. If you want to ask me later about trusting your instincts. God wants you to be happy. You shouldn't judge. Authenticity is everything. You should put yourself first. See, they kind of, they kind of sound subtle, right? And perhaps if you're a preteen, teenager, you might see some of these catchphrases. Okay, so I, those are, I would characterize them as social media wolves circling around the flock. Okay, they're just a few examples of what? Well, they're lies. They're lies that we're prone to believe as sheep. They're all variations of the big lie that happens in Genesis 3, where we see, did God actually say? So there are subtle lies that get us to question true faith, the purity of God's word that we should always have ourselves in. This is the job of the elder, to protect the sheep from the wolves, from the lies of the world. It's not always going to be God help us if it ever happens here, but we have to protect the sheep from the wolves, lies of the world, 
and what might happen inside the church. The wolves may take different forms. Most of our congregation ventures from place to place, the physical. Okay, we might go different places. We might listen to certain things. We might see it virtually. Sadly, we're, we're tools of social media revolution, which kind of preys upon us. And a lot of ways, we remember the good old days, the 1980s, as simpler as they were. We didn't have social media back then. But the lies were the same, but they take different forms. I'm a child of the 80s. I'm, I was, you know, I was preyed upon by, you know, what the culture was trying to teach me. But now the wolf lives in our pocket, waiting for us to engage, swipe, watch, listen. Okay, it could, be, it could be anything. You name all the social media tech stuff. Okay, we're all, it's all alerting us to engage with it, where we can see these lies. And social media nowadays is creating an epidemic of anxiety, depression, the highest it has ever been amongst our teens. But it doesn't stop there. We, of course, can use social media for redemptive ways, and I've seen that this week. You know, it's good to do. Some of us have to live in it. We have to work in it every day. And the irony is not lost on me that I'm standing on a stage talking about this, but the temptations are, this, are similar for elders, for pastors. The temptation might be to, to go viral, do whatever, say whatever, perform and do whatever. And so we have to watch our own hearts, especially as elders and as as we try to shepherd God's flock. We have to pay attention that we don't fall prey to these own wolves. And so as we close this morning, I want to encourage us that we are all running the race until we enter God's presence. And I love the illustration that the speaker last week shared about how work in the church is like a crock pot. It's a great illustration, and I think it's really applicable here, that we can't instantaneously turn ourselves into elders. It's a long work, and I want to encourage some of you who desire to be elders as well, that as you run your race, as you run the course that God has set before you, that we will be faithful to warn, exhort, guide, and protect, because we may be tempted to and fail to complete our course as well. The great thing about the Christian life is that God grants us the very power, the very source and nourishment that we need to run that race because it is not of our own will through the gospel which we have learned and already heard about this morning. And so Paul was a man of the gospel. In fact, he says in other letters that he was put in trust with the gospel. And so Paul set an example as he resolved to be faithful though it should cost him his own life. He saw that he was entrusted with the gospel. Paul wants us to finish our race well, to finish the work and mission that he has set by his own example, because he was fearless for the work of Christ. He protected those that Jesus has bought with his own blood. That was the source of his ministry encouragement and his ministry nourishment that he needed. If you remember in the beginning this morning that I, I talked about Sir Winston Churchill, and while he wasn't remembered for his final words, of course, right, he was remembered for a speech that he gave in 1941. 
October 29th of 1941, Churchill visited the Harrow School. This was a key moment in the speech, and that was a private boarding school that he attended in 1988, or I'm sorry, in 1888, if you can believe it. Now, what did Sir Winston Churchill say? In that moment, in that speech, the British Army was losing ground to, losing ground to Nazi Germany. And so he recognized that moment as he was giving his speech. What were some words that his people needed in that very moment? And this is what he said. Surely from this period of 10 months, this is the lesson. Never give in, never give in, never, 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 never in, nothing, great or small, large or petty. Never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force, never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. Churchill knew the moment in time he knew the message. He knew what message he had to convey to his people. And so Paul, in the same way this morning before us, knew what message he had to convey to these elders as he was leaving them. As he says, I'm, this is the last time I'm going to see your face. But this message is so critical to us as a church. So to the men, if we heed the words of Paul this morning, we will continue in that ministry and be faithful will be committed to a full ministry, humble and Christ-like in the way we shepherd and also teach. And I think God will bless this church if we continue to be faithful in furthering the gospel here in South Jersey. And so remember, maybe perhaps a way of applying, pray that God would strengthen your faith in Him if you need it this morning. Keep watch over yourself. And us elders will do the same. Let's pray that we continue on in our courses of ministry that God has for us. Maybe that imitates Paul, sadly, is the way he suffered. But it's a guarantee that living for Christ, you know, that will undoubtedly come. But the Savior works through suffering. He also works through ministry, and he can work through ours. We cannot shrink from the high and holy call that God has for us in our lives. And God help us that we watch out for the lies from the wolves that may come in around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this morning. We pray, God, and we echo Paul's words, Lord. Lord, that we would pay attention to ourselves. It is a high and holy calling, calling as being an elder and a pastor of a church, and some of us are faithfully serving. We pray that that would continue, Lord, through the strength of the gospel. Some, of, uh, some amongst us here desire to be pastors, and so, Father, I pray and commit them to the ministries that you have, that they would be committed to growing in their faith and their walk with you. And Father, most of us here this morning are the flock. And so, Father, I pray that as we are the flock, that we would be protected by godly leadership, but you also, Lord, through the Spirit, Lord, would help us to see the world with new glasses, to see that there are, are wolves amongst us trying to lead, lead us astray from the faithful and pure scripture that you have imparted to us, God, the truths of your word. I pray that we would also, as your flock, be have attentive ears and open hearts, God, to the faithful preaching of your word. Thank you, God, for the blessing that this church has been to the flock and also to the neighborhood and greater South Jersey, Lord, that we would be faithful, that you would bless us and grant us with many more decades of faithful ministry and godly men. 
who oversee this ministry. And Father, we pray all this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit our website at www.mercyhillnj.org. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Church House located at 300 University Boulevard in Glassboro, off of Harvard Avenue, adjacent to the J. Harvey Rogers School and near Rowan University. We'd love for you to join us. Please see our website for directions. Thank you again for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast.